Welcome to Casual Talk Radio Podcast found at casualtalkradio.net. My name is Leister, I'm your host. Thank you for dialing in today, whether you're an existing subscriber or a new listener. We welcome everybody. Got a couple things to get out of the way first, and then we're going to get right into our topic for today. Casualtalkradio.net. That's our website. Check it out for all of our different podcast episodes, past and present. We're constantly making updates. We're refining the website experience. If you have any feedback, we'd appreciate hearing it. You can hit the contact link at the top, fill out the form, come straight to us. You can also leave us a voice message if you want to leave your thoughts on audio, and it may be played on the air. Who knows? Let's go ahead and get into our topic for today. Very holly jolly Christmas out there for those that celebrate Christmas. My name is Leister, I'm your host again, and I'm recording. No days off, even though it's a holiday. Officially, the holiday was yesterday, but of course, most businesses are celebrating the holiday today. It means my endeavors are not paying me today, so I figured I am doing my move planning. And of course, gentlemen's world will record as we had on schedule. And I want to talk about the schedule. I'll also talk about the move, and then we'll get into a topic that came up surface on social media, and I want to give into that. So with move, part of the planning right now is getting all my stuff into various boxes and crates and everything like I need to in anticipation of getting a vehicle this next Monday. That's being delivered, presumably, that's what I'm told, being delivered here from, I believe it's coming from Oregon. And so if the vehicle comes through like I plan it to, then I'm pretty much good to go. I will be then setting out on Friday. So here's the kind of tentative plan that I can, hopefully I can make all this work. So there's a lot going on. I'm doing Gentleman's World today, of course. Wednesday, I will still do Gentleman's World again um, on normal. Next week then, next week, Monday, there will be a Gentleman's World. It'll be recorded somewhat earlier, podcast. Wednesday, same thing. I'll also be recording there as well. The following Monday, there will not be a Gentleman's World on Monday because that's when I arrive in the new place that I'm going and I won't, it's possible I won't have full internet at that time. I could always record through mobile. Anchor.fm does support that if you've heard the playover. I haven't decided if I want to do that or not. Maybe. One thing I thought about possibly doing is recording the trip, um, using it as kind of a trip journal quote type thing. But because most of the travel will happen outside of the schedule of the show, I'm not sure if that makes any sense. Perhaps I'll do a aftermath, right? Because the way I'm driving, I'm heading east and I've already mapped the route. It actually involves me going south first. I found some people who recommended strongly that I do not try to hit the mountains, especially now with the winter thing. So that means I'll be driving south and I'm in Nevada for those that can picture this in their mind. I'll be heading south. And then I head east, and then it kind of curves up perfectly, nearly perfectly um, to the north. Headed towards uh, the destination, and the estimation based on this new route is right around what I had initially, which was a day and about a day and a quarter of a day together. Of course, with hotel stays along the way, which I figure probably about based on the mileage, I'm thinking at least three different hotel stays, not including the final destination. Final destination is planned to be. Right now, depending on the car, plan to be somewhere probably Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, maybe. If I don't get the car for whatever reason, the alternate plan, which I'm not really looking forward to, but it's still plan B, would be to rent a car or rent an SUV or rent something. And either I drive to Denver 
and then take the train over where I'm going because there's a direct train straight there. That course is going to be minimum two days to do all that. Or I would just rent the truck and drive it and just go all the way up. I'm not doing a U-Haul truck, by the way, because they rip you off when you're doing cross country and I'm not paying that. Uh, I do have a lot of stuff, so perhaps it's logical, but driving a U-Haul truck is not fun. I've done it before. It's not fun, especially when it's winter season. So plan is either I drive up to the train, take the train over, put my stuff in storage, have it shipped up. So then we're talking two or three days. If I do that, then the gentleman's world will still continue, but certainly will not be on that Monday. And I'll be pretty much stuck on the train from Friday all the way through to Monday because of logistics. Or I just do a rental and go up, but rental has its own issues because the rental companies have their, their, stuck in the past with their process. So I'm really hoping that the car comes through this coming Monday, next Monday, so that I don't have to worry about doing the train. The train's cool, but I just don't want, I don't want to have to deal with the nonsense of the rental car companies, frankly. So that's what's on deck. So pretty much in terms of schedule, the only disruption that you should expect would be that Monday, which is the 10th. It's not the 10th. It's the 9th, sorry, 9th of January is be the only one where I expect any sort of disruption that I can predict anyway. The second, which is this coming up Monday is a holiday for at least one of my endeavors. I think the other one's working, but certainly one of them is on holiday. So I will be bright eyed, bushy tailed that day. Then my plan, if I get the cars to set out Friday evening, the week of the second, pretty much. So next week I have a lot to do. I've got to get tires, there's a certain set of all seasons I always get every time I get a new car because tires that come with cars, let's be honest, frankly suck. And so I usually get all seasons that are treated specifically for winter driving conditions. The ones I want, unfortunately, are not uh, supported on this vehicle that I purchased, which are the um, Quadtrack Pro. Shout out to them from TireRack.com. So they're not supported, but there's another brand that looks like it's really good and has high ratings. So I'll look at that and get that done. Then I have to get the car fully detailed. They claim they did a detail. I'm not sold. So I have my guy on standby for the fourth to do a full on detail end to end. There's some things I want to do on the interior because, you know, I feel like the manufacturer of this vehicle shortchanged the driver. So I want to fix that up, get all inspections done, full on inspections, replace all fluids. You might think I'm being paranoid. I'll just tell you straight up. If you ever, if you ever, buy a vehicle used as I'm doing here. And there's a reason I chose used, by the way, because most new cars are ugly and they suck. But if you ever buy a car used, I don't care where you buy it from. I don't care what they told you they did. I don't care if the previous owner told you they did it. The first thing you should always do is get it fully inspected end to end. Like 108 point inspections, what this kind of referred to, get all the fluids replaced, get the best oil money can buy, Check the battery, but not just check the battery. Question the last time the battery was replaced. And ideally, start with a fresh battery. Have them check throttle bodies. Have them check spark plugs. Have them check sensors like the oxygen sensor. Have them check everything end to end to make sure it's fresh. Then make sure you do maintenance on a regular basis at least every 3,000 miles. Ideally, you know, you can do it a little bit later. You don't have to go like 3,000, 3,000, 3,000. I'm saying... If you're going to be driving it a lot, so let's say you're commuting back to forth to work and it's 50 miles each, each direction, which I know it sounds crazy, but that's what I was doing at one point. Then obviously you want to do the 3000 because you're, you're using a lot of it. But 
you know, if you barely drive it or something. Maybe you go every 5,000, maybe you go every 10,000 if it's a hybrid. Point is, make sure you stay on maintenance and make sure you get the best. Don't just take it to a garbage Valvoline or whatever and have them lowball you on the stuff because you're not going to do yourself any service. You're going to invite maintenance issues. I actually did research on this vehicle to understand the top issues people have reported. And I was surprised. Most of the issues people reported are self-inflicted, as in people didn't do maintenance or people didn't understand the car. There is one defect that affects the headlamp assembly. That didn't surprise me because it seems like almost every car suffers from it. When we moved away from the older style halogen headlamps and we moved to these fancy ones with the shiny backs. So that one's kind of a downer, but I know how to swap it. It's not a big deal. And I can always swap to a newer headlamp assembly and be done with it. And these have Xenons. So they have the projector style, full projector. That was one reason why I chose this car was it seemed to have enough to where if I had some issues, I could easily find and fix them and keep it running. It's low maintenance. It doesn't have excessive mileage. And so I can reasonably trust it without having to spend extra thousands of dollars on a brand new one where I know the new one will be ugly. You know, they have that little knob to shift and I can't stand that crap. You know, so for me, I said, let me just settle on this one. It's actually the top of the line of the year. It's a little older, but the mileage is low. And let me do that, fix it up the way I want, pay it off, which I can easily pay it off in like a month or two. And then it's mine and I don't have to worry about it. And then I'll keep it for however long I need. It's going to take a long time before that car hits 100,000 miles based on the way I drive because I don't do a lot of driving because I work from home. That's the beauty of this. So that's everything on deck is getting the tires all situated, getting the interior taken care of, getting the detail job. I want to replace the floor mats too, by the way getting all my winter treatments ready to go. I've already got my kits, my emergency kits um, are from previous because I already had bought one for that. And umbrellas, because I know there's some parts I'm going that are going to be ex excessively rainy. We'll have to do that. I've got cash in hand for the gas station so I can avoid the nonsense that happened when I drove through Idaho. We don't take debit card, deep, deep, none of that anymore. All everything ready, ready to go. I still have to buy like food for the thing and I've got a, um, a cooler I have to get a bigger one for uh, stuff in the car. And then I want to get a generator and that's really for the house, but you can use it in the car. All of that's on deck that whole week of the second. And I'm somewhat excited, but I'm somewhat frustrated simply because I have to wait so long for the dang car, but I think the wait will be worth it. I'm crossing fingers at least, but the wait will be worth it and I'll be in a good spot. So everything's going to be busy for about the next you know, two, maybe two and a half weeks as I get everything settled. I got to get my new place set up. I got to get the studio set up, get everything up there safely. I bought new equipment for my camera, new equipment for my monitors, new equipment for lighting. I have to get all that set up. I'm actually running less room in this new place. I would say it's probably about half the size of where I'm at now. So I got to figure out how everything sorts. All I ask is that you bear with me here at casualtalkradio.net. I'm not going to leave you behind. I am going to record as much and as frequently as I can and try to keep everything on schedule. I just got to get the heck out of Nevada and then all points are possible. Also, I filed a police report about my missing table. I don't know if I mentioned this on the previous week, but on the 23rd, I actually had the property manager who's primarily the reason I'm trying to get the hell out of here. The property manager, they sent out a landscaper mandatory. I couldn't do anything about it because of the HOA cops even though I had done a cleanup service, they still sent HOA the uh, landscapers out of here because of the HOA cops. These jokers took my table first thing in the morning. So this guy 
you know, they're knocking on the window. They're doing all this. And I check out the door saying, is something I can help you with? He's like, no, we'll tell you when we're done. He's puffing on a, I think it's a black and mild, which was, ugh. and so then I close the door and I'm not paying attention because I'm assuming they're just going to take care of the grass and take care of the bushes. Well, first of all, they didn't do that good of a job. But second, they stole my freaking table. This was a little tiny table. It only cost me like $100, but I had it sitting outside the door for deliveries, packages, food. And so it was really helpful. I actually had comments from delivery people saying, yeah, this is really great. Helpful. Keeps it off the ground and everything. This joker picked up my freaking table and left with the dang thing. So I had to file a police report because that's theft because it's on private property and it's mine. And I get to go after the property owner because they're not supposed to, they were supposed to tell them, you know, leave the property alone. Or if it's something you're not sure you need to ask him because we can't afford you taking property. They're not allowed to do it. And if I take him to court, which I'm really debating doing, I send him a message. They have to pay me a hundred dollars per day from the date of the incident. That's a lot of freaking money. And so I'm, I'm on it, even though it's a hundred dollar table and it's small, it's the principle of things, principalities in this like big worm. So there's that, that I had to deal with. I did a change of address already because I, that actually gets slower now. If you ever do a change of address, make sure you do it like a week early, not wait till the last minute because it takes USPS a long time to get it situated. My mail's going to a mailhouse. I'm cool with getting mail now anyway. So it's not going to the new place. It's going to my existing mailhouse I already have. That caused some issues with insurance because then they're like, well, your mailing address is out of state. Deep, deep, deep. I'm like, yeah, so what? It's It scans the mail and who cares? So now I had to respond to them, get that all sorted, get, get them to shut up because it's I need the insurance or I can't take possession of the car. I think it's fine, but I've heard back because it's, of course, Christmas. That's my life, ladies and gentlemen. Given all that, and I talked for a while, but I wanted to make sure you knew how frustrated I am with the situation. And my topic today won't take too long, bear with me, but it has to do with the government right now, cash right now, the climate situation. There's a lot going on. I'm going to briefly chat it up. For anybody that's listening to this, I believe statistically you are roughly the same age as I am. So some of this, I think, will resonate with you. And hopefully you can share the message with people who are younger than us so they can understand. Because I believe, as I've said, that the education system, at least in the United States, has been failing our young folks. And it's really incumbent on us to educate them about what they don't know. Socialism. Do you know what socialism effectively is? I'm not asking for a dictionary definition. I'm asking for effectively what is socialism? Effectively, if we simplify socialism down to its bare bones, socialism is this idea that the government should be providing services to people as part of the taxes that you pay. At a generic level, that's what we're referring to when we say socialism. We see socialism in the form of social security. Social security can only happen via people paying payroll taxes. As companies hire people and they pay people on W-2 salaries, or hourly, a slice of this is mandatory pay to Social Security Administration. That money is not for you and your Social Security slice. It's for people that come after you or before you in this situation. So take this as my own example. The money that I've been working and working and working and working and working to pay into the system for Social Security supports the current people who collect it but it's really intended for the people that come after me. So the money that we pay into tax, the intent behind Social Security, at least originally, 
was that it's kind of the self-sustaining thing. People always work. People always pay taxes. People always pay into the system. So it'll always keep the coffers healthy. And as a result, you're paying forward. Sounded good at the time, yes? The problem is, is that more and more people started working longer. In the old days, especially in the time when we had pensions all over the place, when unions actually took care of you as a worker and were not in bed with the employer, you would retire safely at like 50 or 55 years old and you didn't have to worry about money. You had one income out of two that could take care of the household. The retirement was kind of extra above and beyond. People had generational wealth in the form of property that they inherited from their predecessors. Some of this no longer applies for the vast majority of at least Americans I can speak of. So when Social Security now is reevaluated, we find that it's insolvent. Insolvent in the sense that at some point in the future, we are going to start having problems paying people in Social Security. The law was written that once it hits a certain threshold and we're no longer confident in its ability to pay, that the percentage of payment goes down. I believe it goes down to 70% instead of 100%. So if you knew that you're entitled to $100,000 for simple numbers, $100,000 that you're entitled to in Social Security benefits, it goes down to $70,000 in Social Security benefits, starting with our generation. So our generation, we are allegedly going to benefit from Social Security from people like our grandparents who are paying in the system and subsequently our parents paying in the system. But even with them paying in the system, there's not enough going into the system to support our generation and those going forward. Now, here has started a pretty spirited debate on social media around the lack of understanding of the way things work. Many of the young folks today don't understand the role of, quote, Federal Reserve. They don't understand the true role of the government. They don't understand why things like printing money are a problem. They don't understand why socialism is a trap. They don't understand why these things are insolvent because many of them have never experienced a time where things were better. If you don't know times when things were better, you can't appreciate when times are bad, as many of us of our age and older can greatly appreciate. Certainly those that are older even than us can appreciate a time when we, we hear it all the time. Yeah, gum was like a quarter and this was like a nickel and deep, deep and, and right. And so gas <laughs> under a dollar, we took these things for granted. Sure. Fast forward, I can tell you, I remember very clearly you go to Jack in the Box and get two Jumbo Jacks for $5. I remember when, <laughs> when McDonald's, the Big Mac certainly wasn't $5 back when we were kids. We could get two for five. We know and we feel and have felt the impression upon us of this inflation that has continually happened due to excessive spend. When Bill Clinton got in, Bill Clinton actually helped to manage and balance the budget. He was one of the first to put us in a surplus situation, unfortunately, Pretty much every other president had to spend excessively for one reason or another. I'm not even blaming any one motivation. I'm saying that we came, as in our age group, came from a time when the prices of things were significantly lower to do the same work. Now, there's an inverse to this, which is salaries. Salaries have somewhat gone up. They have not gone up commensurate with cost of living, but they've somewhat gone up. Certainly, there was a time when it was hard to get six figures on the job, whereas now, at least in STEM-type jobs, it's kind of taken for granted. If you ever have a company that's not willing to pay you at least six figures working in a STEM career, they're probably ripping you off. Many of these companies, they cater their salary requirement that they're willing to offer around the cost of living local to the area. We're in a world of remote work. Now, somebody who could live somewhere dirt cheap, like, say, Tennessee, 
or Nebraska, but still get the max pay that they could get from this company that's living somewhere like New York. And now they can actually get ahead, which should have been the goal. It has been the goal in the past, stopped being the goal because many of the employers don't want to foot the bill for this quality of life. I told the story about one endeavor that was, I was prospect endeavor that I was talking to and they wanted me to relocate to Boston. I don't know anybody, if you've been to Boston or not, I'll tell you the story. I was in Boston on business. I had a contract client out there, Boston Private Bank. And so I had to fly out there. That was a nightmare, absolute nightmare. You get out there, you get a taxi to get to your destination. Pretty much people don't own cars. If you're working in downtown Boston, you're not owning a car. It's, it's walk, right? No problem. But I did some research on the cost of living out there. Pretty much the median home price out there was 750 grand. So that meant that if I'm going to work for them, I had to charge them like $300 an hour because I needed to have enough money coming in per year in order to justify where they want me to live, as opposed to let me work from here, which is, you know, I just bought a house for a $75,000 salary. If I live out here, I can charge you lower rate. They wouldn't do it. They require me to go out there. Well, that's not going to work, brother. And so I didn't go with that endeavor. So now as I'm looking at the bigger picture, everybody else, and people and SNAP, SNAP is a food service program, and there's food aid programs, and there's Medicaid, and all these other programs that, and Social Security being one of them, that are part of the socialist. They're part of the socialist picture. Socialism was never intended to be the be-all, end-all. It was meant to assist people who couldn't support otherwise. So if you couldn't get, like, if you couldn't work because you're retired because you're too old, let's say, the thought is that Social Security is the government's attempt to try to compensate you and sustain you for a period of time. It was never meant to be the sole source, which is where pensions kind of filled the gap. Then later 401k, which is a scam in my opinion, tried to fill the gap. IRAs, which I believe are a scam, tried to fill the, fill the gaps. All of these tried to fill the gap. What we ended up doing is taking out loans, second mortgages, equity loans, and all these things because all of these different socialist things didn't really fill the gap. I can tell you straight, though, that if you were really low income, you really didn't make that much Section 8. It's another form of socialism that was invented to try to help people out. Problem is the waiting list is extensive. We've never fixed that problem. We've never asked why is the list so darn long. We've never asked why are people waiting so long. We've never tried to fix it. Ultimately, it's not due to a lack of living places. It's due to the fact that the criteria for getting into Section 8 is wide open. It's essentially wide open. But worse, when you do the Section 8, it doesn't require you really do much of anything outside of what you are already doing. What am I saying? I'm saying that when we take employment, general employment, the employers have all the power, at least in the United States I speak, all the power in the world to deny you work for what I consider spurious reasons, reasons that don't have anything to do with the work, reasons that don't have anything to do with their requirements. They can deny you work. They can fire you. It's called at-will employment. They can cut you. They can discriminate against you. We say they can't by law. The truth is they can violate that at their whim because it's hard to prove it. There's all these things that benefit the employer. So if you've got a job and you're making $40,000 a year, as far as the government's concerned, that's not enough to sustain a place to live. No problem. Section 8 comes along to try to help that. Instead of fixing the problem, which is why are we paying that person $40,000 a year? I'm not supporting a raise of minimum wage because as we saw, 
Most companies already went past the $15 an hour and it didn't do any good because that was never the right solution. The right solution is that the price of the role should be based on the nature of the work, period, point blank. And as people come in that have certain skill sets, irrespective of their educational level, hint, hint, you pay based on its competitive, its competitive rate. I told a story, you know, months ago when certain of the prospects come back and they want to, they want to offer me half what my rate is. And I say, screw you because it's about knowing your worth. I know what this is worth. I know what it takes and I know what it took for me to get the level of education in this case, non-college, but education to do it at this level. It's not about anybody can hire. You can hire that receptionist who just went to the class two weeks ago. They can't do the work at the level I can. That's the distinction. So you can't pay me the same thing you pay an entry-level worker. doesn't make sense. They try to because they went with compa ratio. Compa ratio is a scam. We all know it's a scam, but that's the current reality. When you get into this compa ratio situation, what did it do? It introduced what they believe is gender disparities in pay when the truth is they're looking at the quality of the, the work, the quality of the role, and they're saying, well, everybody should be able to do this dupe, 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 and they're paying you the lowest possible that they can justify, and they expect you to fight them. And then if you fight them, they'll just bypass you. So they're expecting you to just go somewhere else and find the money that you want. They're forcing you to compete. They don't want to compete for your business. No problem. But then the government is not getting involved to make sure there are regulatory constraints around the reason that we must compete. Are we competing simply because that company is too dang cheap to pay what it's due? Or are we competing because it's truly a fair market? Why am I making this case? Because if we're not competing on a fair level playing field, it means that Section 8 is being overutilized because people don't have any other recourse. They can't make the money that they need to in order to get into a place on their own without Section 8. Then you talk about the discrimination that I described just for me trying to get a new place and all the hoops that they were put in front of me where I got all the money in the world and they still put layers of garbage even if I wanted to prepay for a year, they still wouldn't accept my terms. That's not a level playing field. That's purposely trying to discriminate. And it has nothing to do with skin tone. The bottom line is if I'm paying you up front, I've already mitigated the risk that you're telling me is the reason for all these hoops. So that means it's not about risk. That means you're just finding excuses not to rent to me. There's likely other people who make way less than I do who are discriminated against getting a place to live even worse than I am. So those people are going to be forced into the system because they don't make the money I do where they have the choice to basically go somewhere else. This is what's putting a strain on the system overall. As I said, with Social Security, people are getting to the point where they're working longer than just the 50 and 55 and even 60, 65. And they were even talking about raising the rate age to 70 because it's insolvent. All you're doing is putting more strain on that system. With SNAP, you're putting more strain on that system during the pandemic they chose to issue pointless $1,400 checks that wasn't going to do anything to people instead of simply funneling that money into food service programs that everybody could benefit from. Instead, they added red tape to the garbage to where when you try to get into these service programs, they don't even let you in. So people that have a harder time making the money necessary to feed their families, they become dependent on the system. The dependency on the system then becomes in their mind somewhat of a quote addiction because they feel, okay, it's free money. My taxes pay for it. Yes, it is. But now people after us are going to pay for that. When you're younger, then certain of the younger people believe that's the way it should be. There's the chatter about why should people have to work? It doesn't make any sense. We should just give money to people. 
universal basic income and food service things and education should be free and all these things should be free. All of this is under the umbrella of socialism at some level. What these folks don't understand is the downstream impact of doing this. Number one, dependence on the government means the moment they want to yank those services, you're left in a lurch. Number two, we're passing the burden of cost to people that come after us. And I don't personally think that's fair at all. Many of the people being so young don't understand or appreciate this because they never had to deal with it to this degree. Certainly they have the cost burden of inflation and things increasing, but many of them don't realize it because their parents are paying for it, or maybe they work some sort of a sketchy job to make ends meet when they really shouldn't have to do that. My point, my only point is I think in my opinion, it's only my opinion that there's a myth that socialism is the right answer for everybody. Socialism sounds good, looks good, feels good on the surface. And the truth is it's creating a burden on really much everybody. And that burden has made the inflation much worse than it should be by now. I don't know what the solution is other than education, letting, making sure the younger folks understand quote, free money isn't free. There's a cost just that you don't appreciate what the cost is. And there's a long-term cost burden. I frankly blame the demise of encyclopedias in the home. People that are roughly my age will remember, probably everybody, our parents, our grandparents had a set of encyclopedias handy, and we could look through the encyclopedia and learn some of this stuff. So we have a good impression of what that is. We were around when our parents were going through this type of thing. We were around when our grandparents were going through this kind of thing. We had that opportunity where I think the young folks are less so being educated about the ramifications of what sounds free or sounds good. And the last point is this whole climate deal. I just saw where Germany is trying to turn back on coal plants because they're, they need, they need energy. They got to do what they got to do. And there's climate people getting involved and stopping a country from being able to support its citizens. That's where it's gotten to the extreme where they don't care about the fact that people are hurting and it's not sustainable to say, we'll never have coal. We'll never have fossil. We'll never have oil, not sustainable because you're just going to harm another industry. You're going to harm another group of people. It sounds good until you harm that other group of people. I am not trying to go on a rant. I know I did, but I wasn't trying to. It's just simply a call to action. I think we need to educate our young people to simply understand that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. This is causality. And we need to appreciate the causality and we should not fall back to the fallacy of, yeah, but we're hurting now. Deep, deep, or in 30 years, going to be screwed. Deep, deep, deep. We should simply say, Right now, today, the decisions that you make need to be thought out, well thought out. Don't treat something as, quote, free or good. Understand all points of data. Understand it's not just about what sounds good right now. It's about long term. What is the impact of this decision on people that come after you and I? And how can we work together to where everybody's taken care of and we're not disenfranchising one group of people simply because it feels good, sounds good, or smells nice? That's all we've got here today on Casual Talk Radio, Gentleman's World. Hopefully it's been informational, educational, and helpful for you. We upload every Monday and Wednesday, so we'll be back for our next episode. Whether you're a subscriber or not, we appreciate you for dialing in today. We know you've got choices. We will be turning back on our guest cadence. We are doing the screening process that's coming very soon. Keep up to date with what we're doing at casualtalkradio.net. You can also subscribe at the bottom to get alerts whenever there's a new episode posted, or you can add it to your platform of choice. For now, take care and I will see you on our next upload.